There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. All right. Well, hey, welcome back to Tertial Radio, everybody. It's your boy, 3K, Joe McAtee here. Trying to get Tertial Radio started up again. It's been a while since we, we've had some Tertial Radio podcasting airways to bless you with, but it's been a tumultuous off season. I don't know if anybody noticed the Rams were in the news a couple times, um, but we're, we're trying to get the, the podcast going again in advance of training camp starting in less than two months. And obviously part of the reason that we're doing that is because of the relocation. But uh, the main reason is because we got somebody on board to actually help with podcasting. And that's why things have gone so smoothly in setting this up. Thanks to Josh. Well, Josh, what's up, man? Oh, not a whole heck of a lot, man. Although I would, uh, I would challenge you on the phrase smoothly, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but to our credit, we, we know what's wrong. We just, we need another week to fix it. It's something that can't be solved tonight. There you go. And it, to, to break it down for everybody, what it means is I have a shitty computer. I have a shitty internet connection, and I have a shitty phone. So that's really what we need. Once we get those fixed, th- things might be nice. And t- until then, it's going to be a, a work in progress. Unfortunately for Joe, because I have a decent internet connection, a decent phone, and uh, yeah, decent. But you're, you're used to nice things. Yeah, see, you're used to nice things. I'm used to old school turf show radio. You know, recording in. Uh, dirty bathrooms and the gas station on the side of the road, but let's not get into my personal life. Let's make Turf Show Radio great again. Middle of the RNC going downhill here in the middle of July. Less than two weeks to Rams training camp. Josh, th- there's a there's a lot there's a lot to cover, man. It's you know what in one of the failed attempts to get this started, we were talking about the idea that the off season of the NFL. It's just one long day. It's almost like the cosmic calendar, right? There's 24 hours between the end of week 17 for the Rams 
and the beginning of training camp. And we're almost there. So we're almost at midnight. We're in this last hour of the off season, getting close to things starting up again. And obviously with relocation, a new fan base to entertain both online and in person, it's an exciting time to get Tertial Radio going back and have you on the Tertial Times team now. Well, I really appreciate the invite. I really appreciate the chance to do this with you guys. Uh, I I think that uh, having done college for I man, I was at six years almost. Um, I was ready for a change. Uh, I was ready to try something different. There's only so many times you can have the argument about who should or shouldn't have been in. Uh, which bowl game based on some random loss that occurred against a team that had another random loss. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, man, I, I needed a change, and you guys provided me with a, uh, with a fresh new outlet to terrorize and uh, really jump on and spout a whole bunch of nonsense along with you. And I think it's a good match for, you know, the, the, the new L.A. fans that are getting picked up because, you know, let's be blunt. You've got uh, Rams fans, regardless of where they live, like myself, who grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, live in the Washington, D.C. area, who have followed the Rams for however long. I started following them in the late 80s, but well before they moved to St. Louis. Uh, but we got Rams fans all over the world, right, and, and who have followed the team. Then you've got St. Louis fans uh, who may not still be following the team, distinct from St. Louis Rams fans, and there are very many who still follow the Rams uh, intently, closely, read what we put on social times every day, interact with us on social media, going to be listening to the podcast. But there are some that are dropping off, and, and I sympathize with them. Uh, the same way I sympathize with the Los Angeles Rams fans that, you know, didn't uh, have a dedication to following the team when they left California. But you've got this third group of, you know, uh, a generation in SoCal that's eager to buy into the idea of a hometown team. And so I think it syncs up well with bringing you on board to be able to uh, highlight, you know, Los Angeles area. Obviously, we got Eddie Perez on staff out in L.A. Derek Klassen's out there a little bit further north, but we've got a good Cali presence. And obviously, you know, with my background, I got tons of family there. I was born there. We're going to we got the L.A. angle covered. And other people do that well. I think the key for Tertia Times and even Tertia Radio is to really analyze the specifics of what makes the Rams the Rams, what makes this football team tick. And I think that's one of the most interesting things moving forward because this is a very, very, very unique franchise for the NFL. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And I know that we've had some chats off air about that uh, in in we had a little bit of a discussion on it uh, on my podcast, Flipping Tables, with Cam Morrell, who I guess I can uh, announce now he's actually going to be jumping on and joining us next week to give you guys an idea of what he's going to be doing with us uh, as the season starts. And that's a little X's and O's breakdown uh, segment. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that, but I digress when we had you on the show, uh, you and I spent a a decent chunk of time talking about, uh, the, the LA Rams expected off season through the lens of arsenal in that 
I think a lot of people thought the Rams were going to make this move and that move and, and, and so on and so forth. And I guess in the end, if you if you tack everything up on a board and kind of weigh it all out, I, they did end up sort of making that move. Uh, I guess that's what you would consider that move, uh, uh, what they gave up to get that number one overall pick. But, uh, you know, we... Uh, we pretty much predicted that when it came to actual personnel being signed by the team, it would be minimal. They'd basically be veterans and that would be about it. You know, like a positionally impactful player. Yes. Uh, but, 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 you know, nothing really to write home about. And, and it was crazy just how many parallels you could successfully draw from Arsenal, to looking at the uh, LA Rams and it's certainly going to be fun to to do some of that stuff on air with you as the season progresses. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think part of what makes it interesting is just, you know, the the consensus has solidified this season for for a couple years, you know, especially going back to 2012 when Jeff Fisher first came on as head coach of this team. You know, the Rams were a relatively hard team to peg. Right. People didn't know how much of a leap they were going to take. Uh, you know, Sam Bradford came in and had a rookie of the year season in 2010 and obviously 2011, big step backwards. But for every year thereafter, everybody wasn't sure, is this the year the Rams get over the hump? Is this the year the Rams get over the hump? It never happens. Right. It never happened. And it seemingly never happens. And so now going into 2016, you, you've gotten past the Bradford era. You had this one year wash of what, whatever the Rams were trying to do and however they might try to justify it with Nick Foles. And, you know, one of the things we each talked about on the site this week, you had a piece uh, reacting to the, uh, the ranking over that the shutdown corner Yahoo's big NFL blog had the Rams as the number 24th ranked team in the NFL. Uh, I covered the pro football focus rankings that had their QB situation ranked 27th. The receivers and tight ends ranked 32nd last in the league and had the offensive line next to last. The, the, you know, this is the first year where there's a, a solid consensus in terms of how to project the Rams going into the season, and the projection is not good. And, and I think that 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 creates this weird dichotomy where Los Angeles is really excited to have the Rams, and there's this this newfound excitement and you know positivity around the team, and everybody's you know happy to have the Rams back. And at the same time, this is the first time in the last uh, maybe six years, seven years, going back before the Bradford era, where the national media and whatever you want to call them, experts, analysts, whatever, are, are pretty much in consensus that the Rams aren't going to be a very good team this year. Yeah, and I think it all stems from the fact that there are so many um, – well, well, there's a lot of rookie components to this or, or you know, guys who are just sort of finding their, their way in the NFL even if they've received some accolades along the way, guys like Aaron Donald – guys like Todd Gurley who have hardware you expect to be good consistently assuming they stay injury free and on the field um but you know it's this is a team that that man I I think I've said it oh excuse me I think you've said it I think everybody has said is a competent quarterback away from being at least a playoff team, you know, a, a wild card 
is not out of the realm of possibility for a team with as much talent and as good as their defense as ha- uh, have they have been in the past. If there were anybody up there who were at all competent slinging the ball around or helping move the ball down the field, then I, I think the Rams would have found themselves in the playoffs. Um, but that's not yet happened. And, and I think that if you look at the history of this team and then you look at rookie quarterbacks and how they traditionally tend to struggle, um, there are certainly exceptions to the rule but I think a lot of people are putting the weight of the world on Jared Goff's shoulders, expecting that he can come in right out of the gate and sort of be a guy that turns everything around right away. Um, he, first of all, he played in an air raid system at Cal. I mean, this is, you know, now you're under center. It's different terminology. You got to learn it. It's a foreign language. And he may very well go out there and play perfectly well. Um, but there are going to be teams, especially with the schedule the Rams have this year, and and I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but there are going to be teams on that schedule who are fully capable of tripping him up on defense, and you can bet that they'll thrive uh, on those game situations where they know they have a mental advantage over a guy who's going to be doing it for the first time. No doubt, and, and the th- the thing I think is strange is that, you know, the, the Rams had a, a rookie of the year quarterback six years ago in, in Sam Bradford, and we've, you know, we've seen rookie quarterbacks come into this league and play what, whatever the the bar for averages for rookie quarterbacks. We've seen them come in and perform above that, and, and have the team struggle around them, and, and you know, all indications suggest that that's going to be the case this year. What's strange to me is that the needle's never moving forward over the past five years under Jeff Fisher. And, that, you know, I, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. we got a, we got a show to get through. And obviously with Tarsal Radio getting back, and we got to do this with more frequency, we can get into these topics with more regularity. But I, I think it's strange that in year five, you've essentially got the blueprint for most coaches under year one or two, Right go in and get a franchise quarterback to supplement the pieces you have around and then spend the next two or three years building the rest of that offense around him to support the rest of the team. That's what most coaches do to start. Jeff Fisher is going into year five. He's already had four years to build a program, to build a franchise, and to build a depth chart. And after four years, the offense that he built was worse than the league. So, so the support staff that he's got going around him for, on offense was the offense that was the worst in the league in yardage gain in 2015, and that's the offense that he's sticking in Jared Goff to start for whenever that happens. But, you know, with Case Keenum still the starter, you know, per, per the direct quote from Jeff Fisher, and I, I laugh because anybody who, who's been reading Personal Times for a while knows that we, we take everything that Jeff Fisher says with a grain of salt because – uh, well, because that's the way we do it. He's, he's got a history of saying things that maybe aren't directly true. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot for us to get to that, that that applies to. And I think one of those things, I'm going to jump forward just a little bit, is, the, is some situations going on with T.J. McDonald and Trey Mason. Obviously, go, go check the site. Look at our archives. If, if you're not sure about the history, you've got some, uh, what's the right word here, pending legal actions uh, for both, off-field incidents maybe. Um but what's strange is that neither have rejoined the team 
uh, in the interim. There's no, there's no suspension from the league. There's no, uh, th- there's no pending actions that would prevent them from, from, you know, participating in, in what the team's done this far. Uh, and that's Vinny Bonsignori, who, uh, obviously most people w- would recognize as the Rams and NFL columnist for the Los Angeles daily news. They also uh, contributes to 570 AM sports in the Los Angeles market on the radio, uh, tweeted out this weekend, uh, said that, that neither McDonald nor Mason was participating in team activities and, and that it wasn't necessarily tied to uh, their off-field incidents. I'm going to go ahead and find the tweet and, and read it verbatim here uh, so that we, we don't mislead uh, anybody. So here's the two tweets coming in. Uh, these actually came in earlier today, recapping what he said this weekend. FYI, and I'm direct quoting now, FYI on Rams safety TJ McDonald, as with Trey Mason, TJ's training camp availability is still to be determined. In the following tweet, he said, quote, any pending NFL discipline is not a factor in training camp status. Josh, what the hell is going on? Man? You know, I honestly have no damn clue. Um, you know, you, you, you usually see situations like this, uh, prior to a completely severed relationship of some kind. Um, I know that that is how those things tend to, to progress is it starts with nobody wanting to talk about what happened, but that, that the person's not allowed around the building. And then all of a sudden the charges or the, whatever come through or the video surfaces or whatever the hell it is that TMZ hasn't posted yet. Like it's, it's, it's on its way. I'm sure we'll find out. And, and then, the Rams will have to address that moving forward. And, you know, they've already had uh, uh, an off-the-field incident or, um, already. So, you know, this is... Uh, you expect this kind of stuff to happen, but at the same time, you, you know, you, you hope to some extent that the veteran leaders on your team now i would not consider trey mason in that category but i don't think that tj mcdonald certainly uh would be unfair to call him a a veteran or a leader um you expect them to behave a certain way or to carry themselves in a certain manner um and and certainly TJ McDonald uh, has had his fair share of, of problems in the past, but uh, not so many with the Rams. So the fact that they're not even around right now has certainly got a lot of ears peaked, and uh, it would not surprise me as as you have linked on our run sheet, you know. Uh, Al, al.com alabama.com is asking if this is you know trey mason's already played his last game for the rams like that's <laughs> that's usually a pretty damning title for an article and and you definitely think that those guys know more a little bit more about what's going on with that situation than you or i no doubt and, and i think what what's troubling is that these these aren't necessarily isolated incidents for the rams you know jeff fisher has always had a history of taking on troubled guys you go back to tennessee where he took you know albert hainsworth uh kenny Britt, 
Um, you know, the, the list, uh, Cortland Finnegan, obviously with his on-field demeanor and, and not necessarily his off-field demeanor because he was a great guy off the field, but everybody knows what kind of a guy Cortland Finnegan off, is on the field. Um, and, and that continued certainly uh, with the Rams in St. Louis. I think the problem is now you've got this pattern, and, and I pulled up the story that we had back in May 10th with the T.J. McDonald uh, DUI. Five incidents so far this offseason uh, to consider. Maybe not incidents, but situations. Number one, uh, you got Trey Mason, who was arrested in early March, marijuana possession, ended up getting tasered while he was in Miami. Uh, the Rams drafted Western Kentucky tight end Tyler Higby in the fourth round, who had pled guilty to assault charges. No, excuse me, pled not guilty to assault charges uh, earlier this offseason, stemming from his time, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, a bar fight in Western Kentucky with a lot of ancillary issues going on there. Uh, they signed Auburn wide receiver Dekeel Duke Williams, who ask any Auburn fan about his time there, and they'll, you know, they red flags galore. Uh, they signed J.J. Wharton as a back of the roster wide receiver who was arrested in January on three accounts of assault and battery. And now you got this DUI in May for TJ McDonald, somebody who, you know, a UCLA guy, uh, comes from an NFL predigree, his brother. Ooh, um, ooh no, 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 no. Uh, switch it, switch it. No, switch it. Hold on. Kevin McDonald, his brother, UCLA guy, TJ McDonald, USC. I, I, I got oh, it. Josh, right. my bad, man. I, yeah, you got to give me a learning curve, man. You got to give me, you got to give me a learning curve. All right. Personal Times is coming into the market. TJ McDonald, USC, Tevin McDonald, UCLA, and then transferred. I got you. Um, but you, you've got those, you got those five, let's say, separate situations going on. On top of that, you've got a franchise that I've written about extensively of my opinion that, that winning isn't the priority, uh, the primary priority for this franchise, that marketing and branding and, you know, the expansion of the businesses and throw in hard knocks and a brand new show on E a cable show on E for the Rams. This is a, this is a lot of uh, activity that has nothing to do with football going on in a single off season while the team moves to Los Angeles. And I think the concern might be that this is too much for any team or any head coach to handle at one time when you throw all of this together in a short period of time. Yeah. And, and just because Jeff Fisher safely navigated a, a similar situation once before, um, you could definitely argue that it was an entire, it was a whole new world back then. Sure. Um, you know, I was at like the late 90s when that happened, mid to late 90s. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, 1994, they left, right? Yeah. Correct. It was 94 that they left. So you figure the Rams weren't even really the biggest story that year because, you know, a certain running back from Southern California went and dominated the headlines later on in 94. Um and uh yeah i i i i'm curious really what happened with mcdonald because uh, all right you know you you go through and you read that police report and that thing smacks of weed to me you know like he wasn't going very fast when he hit the car it kind of sounded like he that he was distracted it doesn't it doesn't scream drunk driving like this screams. I got baked in and hit a car, 
you know, so it would I would be curious then to find out how we have escalated from what appears to be a weed induced car wreck to you should probably stay the hell away, you know, like that. That to me is the interesting part. Yeah, I, I would, and this is me personally. I, I wouldn't say it was weed related. What what I would say, and, and what I would reinforce, is what the initial story reported by TMZ said uh, was that he crashed into a parked car, and when he waited for police to arrive, and when they got there, they they took him to the station for DUI screening, which was not alcohol related. Now they said there was medication involved. You say weed. My first instinct was that it was pills. Regardless of what it is, it's not alcohol related. So this is one of those, you know, this is a separate issue. This isn't alcohol. This isn't whatever you want to call it, a classic DUI or the, the traditional or stereotypical DUI. It's something different. I, th- I think the bigger story, obviously, is that, you know, you mentioned Jeff Fisher and his experience moving, relocating a franchise from Houston to Nashville. Nashville ain't Los Angeles, man. This is a different behemoth. And this team that was in St. Louis, where you've got a lot of guys that maybe aren't used to that and are getting treated a completely different way in a completely new media environment in 2016 with social media and all these other media properties that are welcoming them in. You see Todd Gurley picking up all these kind of marketing deals and the fact that, you know, they're getting shows on E But this isn't something that TJ McDonald doesn't already know. I mean, during his senior season, much was made out of he and Barkley, the whole seven and seven. Uh, and, and, and he was on every billboard in Los Angeles, you know, like we play to win and that team played to, 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 to win six flipping games is what they played. Um, but you, you sort of look at that and, and, and say, okay, uh, you've been here before, you know, how vicious the LA media can be, uh, You've been a part of that, you know, you, you, you've seen what happened with guys like Josh Shaw with, uh, junior Palmy, so on and so forth. I could understand to an extent, the other guys on this team, maybe falling victim to that, but TJ has no real good excuse. No, sure. Well, and I, I totally get what you're saying is that he's got experience with that. What I would, the only thing I'd suggest, and then we can move on. We got a lot to deal with. There's a common denominator here, and it's the Rams. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you know the Rams are some kind of poison pill that's affecting these guys' individual lives. Certainly, they have a responsibility level, a self-responsibility level that you know indicates their own capabilities as adults to be able to deal with these issues, but. Uh, there's, there's clearly a common denominator that's inescapable, and, and you have to wonder how much culture plays into a part like this. The fact that, you, like you said, T.J. McDonald has experience with this, and you would know better than I, but as far as I remember, T.J. McDonald didn't have off-field incidents at USC. Um, and, and kind of, you know, his dad, with his experience, certainly knows the pitfalls of the transition. Did. With weed. His brother did, and absolutely, yeah. Tevin had some problems, which is why he left and went to what Eastern Washington, I think, when he left UCLA. Um, yeah, but 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 regardless, this is something new, right, for TJ McDonald, and it's new with the Rams. And I'm not I'm not saying that's a direct correlation. What I'm saying is it's impossible to ignore that correlation. I'll, I'll leave it at that. 
but because w- one thing I do want to get to is, is the idea with with younger players and the pitfalls of the transition from the college to the program. And you know, let's be honest, TJ McDonald, Trey Mason aren't rookies. You know, McDonald was third round pick 2013, Trey Mason third round pick 2014. They've been around a little bit, but but one of the things the Rams are dealing with yet again as has been the case every year since Jeff Fisher was, became the head coach in 2012, is dealing with one of the youngest, if not the youngest roster in the NFL. We'll have to see over the next couple of weeks as the roster cuts come in. But one of the things that I think was interesting was that in, in previous years, uh, when people assessed that, that youth and, and the potential for growth with this team, it was always viewed as a positive. And, you know, what I'm pointing to is a, a piece that you were able to put up on the site a week ago today as we're recording this on Tuesday the 19th, uh, the piece is from the 12th uh, that reacted to ESPN's Futures Power Rankings. Now, you go back two years ago in 2014, the Rams ranked number 12, you know, still coming off of the RG3 trade and the bounty of young talent they injected. Go back to last year, you know, they had still had, you know, Tavon Austin, Alec Ogletree, and a brand-new rookie class with Todd Gurley, a new running back, albeit a position they maybe didn't need to address. Uh, but with all that new offensive line talent, they dropped just a little bit to 17. So that's 12th in 2014, 17 in 2015. Fast forward to 2016, they dropped all the way to 30th. Now, you were very critical of that drop and, and the fact that the rankings were uh, you know, as uh, critical as they were of the Rams. Um, it, I think the question is, w- were they overly critical in 2016 or were they providing the benefit of doubt to the Rams in the last two years when they had them in the top half of the league? Maybe the answer is a little bit of both. Um, I do think that though dropping them to 30 is, is sort of somewhat similar to OJ catching the, the sentence that he did for, for (laughs) robbing, like, like everybody on earth knows that if I'd have been, yeah, yeah, like that, that did that, he would have gotten somewhere along the lines of like four or five, maybe like six years. Like it's a makeup call. It's a makeup call. Yeah. This, that was a total makeup call is what it was. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's sort of what I think is going on here. Like, they expected the Rams to be better, and so they're saying, ah, well, they're going to be 30th, uh, so now they're hedging their bets because if the Rams do end up being good, then they can be like, well, we called it. We, we said it was 17 and 12, but then we weren't sure – that one year, so we dropped them to 30th, but then they did well, so we moved them back up, and we were right the whole sure. time. And that's probably how that'll be phrased, and you're just going to be reading that thing like, wait a minute, did you guys just, like, retroactively call yourselves correct? Like, you, I don't think you can do that, but I think that that's what's going to end up happening. So um, I, I thought 30 was a little BS, uh, especially when you look at the impact that Aaron Donald's had, the impact that Todd Gurley's sure. had, um, what you would probably expect out of Jared Goff moving forward. Um, I don't think that you have, you know, back-to-back rookies of the year and 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 deserve to be fallen to 30th. Like, sure, they haven't had that driven, competent, next-level quarterback play, but... Yeah. 
you know, I, I mean, crap, dude. If they had a Brad Johnson, man, this team, their defense was good enough to win them a Super Bowl. And what what I think is in my first reaction to this, as a, as it has been the last couple of years when we talk about talent, is it, it, to address a schism that's coming. And I think it's I think it's coming sooner than later. And, and I mean, maybe even in the preseason is a schism between personnel and capability and one between performance and expectation and, uh, you know, execution. Right. And I think essentially what it comes down to is a schism between GM less need and head coach Jeff Fisher. Now let's not make a mistake. Jeff Fisher isn't like your typical head coach when it comes to player eval and acquisition and the draft and things like that. But essentially what we're talking about is the fact that the Rams have done so well in drafts in the past four or five years, right? Since Fisher and Snead came on board, uh, the RG three trade, and you, you've brought in so much talent, you know, the, the RG three trade just give you, you know, more opportunities at the crapshoot table to be able to, to throw your dice on it and, and land guys like Janoris Jenkins, Michael Brockers. Uh, and that was just from that first draft, obviously Brian quick and Isaiah P don't necessarily count, but Trumaine Johnson is a third round pick in that 2012 draft. Another good guy to land. Uh, but moving forward, you had a bunch of picks that they brought in, in in the early day one, day two picks that almost everybody, certainly Rams fans universally, praise as being good picks. But there's something to this idea that eventually if you've got all these good picks and it's not really making the team better where it counts in the record, what 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 is the difference between the general manager whose job it is to isolate the talent and bring them on board and the head coach who, whose job it is to maximize that talent for on-field production. When you talk about rookies of the year back to back, Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley and the team doesn't necessarily seem to be getting better. And certainly on offense last year, they got much worse. Somebody's fault is going to be applied here. Right. And it's going to, it's going to start being applied in a public way. And it's very hard to see how that's going to be applied towards the personnel side when you're picking rookies of the year, when you're adding young talent, and when everybody agrees that it's working and you're getting 12th and 17th rankings in these future power rankings. And to be dropped to 30th, like you said, seems to be more of a condemnation, not necessarily of the talent evaluation and acquisition side of the ball, but maybe in terms of the performance and execution. And that's a condemnation that I think Les Snead doesn't want to be a part of because I think most people would suggest that maybe he hasn't earned that and that it, it almost goes solely on Jeff Fisher's shoulders for not getting more out of this young talent. Well, I, I don't know that Jeff Fisher hasn't gotten enough out of them. I mean, certainly the jury mm-hmm. is going to be still out. Uh, Jared Goff's, I think, probably... Sure the ultimate litmus test if Goff produces anything close to what we expect out of him then you know i i think you can mark down fisher as 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 a guy who's developed however if the team doesn't win to your point if they're not putting the results on the field then it sort of falls back on, well, this is great. We've got a bunch of players with outstanding stats, but why aren't we winning anything? Like, you know, even even Kroenke, I think he gave a quote not too long ago, <clears throat> and I thought it was really ironic, who he said, you know, there's the business side of things, uh, mm-hmm. but eventually, you know, y- you have to start winning. Because it, it's no fun if you don't win anything. And it's like, well, it's yeah. No buddy. fun you, if you don't I win mean, was the money quote. 
Yeah, and it's like, well, uh, you know, even ESPN FC were all over it. They're like, well, dude, you would know. Like, I mean, <laughs> and I'm sure Rams fans would sit there and say the same thing. Like, what, what the hell do you mean? Like, <clears throat> you're the owner of the team. Make it fun. You're a billionaire, sure. dude. Like, what do you what do you mean this is no fun? Make it fun. And and yeah, he's he's going to have to at some point make it fun. Otherwise, it, you know, his brand new cathedral is going to be sitting empty really quickly because L.A. just does not care if you are not winning. They are not showing up like I can promise you it's it, NFL or not. If you are not winning, people are not going to show up. And, and I think I, I wanted to address this since we don't have any guests coming on. We're relaunching Tesla Radio. We don't have any big guests this week. We're going to get to them down the line. We, we've got some other preview topics, but I'm willing to skip those if you are. I think one, one thing I just want to talk about briefly is, to me, the, the biggest issue for previewing this season for the Rams, and I'm still thinking about how I want to write it for the site. Last year, what I, what I wanted to write was the idea that there was, there was no a re, a true optimism left for Rams fans. This was a team that was obviously preparing to move on the business side. Uh, whether they were going to be allowed to or not wasn't necessarily up to the Rams or the city of St. Louis. It was up to a third party, which was NFL owners. And for Rams fans, that and the football was being taken out of their hands because this was a franchise, like I said, that I've argued doesn't prioritize winning, like you're suggesting. The owner is saying it's not fun if you don't win, but isn't necessarily taking any responsibility for that. And obviously with the news, they're talking about extending Jeff Fisher, the head coach, and Les Snead, the general manager, giving them contract extensions despite not having provided a single winning season in four years tells you where the values lie. I think what's interesting is the conditions have changed. You don't necessarily have to accept the apathy of your tenant market, which you had in St. Louis because you had lost so much. Remember, the Rams haven't, they haven't had a winning season since 2003. It's not about St. Louis. It's about any market where you lose that much is just going to tune you out. And, and, and like you said, Los Angeles isn't going to accept that. It's, and no city is going to take 10-plus years of losing and provide you with a steady stream of attendance and attention. It's just not going to happen. And L.A. has plenty of other franchises and, and sports teams and programs that they can look at to justify that. The Rams aren't going to be any different from that. What I think is interesting is the Rams have this track record of not winning and have been able to lean on these incremental improvements and sell this idea of, oh, well, you know, we're bringing everybody back. So you've got, you've got this consistency that we're going to be able to build on. We've got the same, uh, you know, in some years it was offensive coordinator. Brian Schottenheimer is going to be able to reinstall his offense, and, and they're going to get better. Now you're talking about the offensive line. Every member of the offensive line comes back. Jeff Fisher's coming back. Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, is back. You're able to, you know, bring back other pieces and components of the defense that were successful, despite the fact that you lost all these other guys that – you know, the, the cohesion that's coming about because you've got all these returning starters. Uh, how, how long is this really going to last? Not necessarily how long is Los Angeles going to buy it, but how long are Rams fans going to be forced to deal with th this idea of wh whatever you want to call it, excuses or context or development or the incremental improvements? I think, to me, that's the biggest thing going into 2016. And I know we've got some topics of discussion for the week I want to get to with you, but I think bigger than anything 
is this idea that that Los Angeles is being presented with a franchise that has the hasn't won since 2003. I mean, it's the longest streak in the NFL. But more than that, isn't necessarily concerned with changing that. They're comfortable with that as long as they have something else to sell. And the fact that they're going to be on Hard Knocks, that they've got a show coming on E, that they've got all this other marketing and development and business development. And like you said, they've got this cathedral coming. They can point to that and say 2019. Don't worry about it now. Worry about 2019. But at some point, they're going to have to deliver if they want to really take advantage of this relocation. And I wonder how much the 2016 season is going to play into that. Uh, well, I mean, to a- answer your question, I think that it all depends on what we're seeing on the field. If we're seeing genuine, true game to game, week to week development from golf, then I think that there's going to be a lot of forgiveness for Fisher. I think there will be more people inclined to show him patience uh, and and to let him work with this young team so long as. Aaron Donald continues to be Aaron Donald. Todd Gurley continues to be Todd Gurley. Robert Quinn goes back to being Robert Quinn. True remains true, uh, you know, so on and so forth, all while bringing along Goff and installing him into that offense. If, if you're seeing progressions on a week-by-week basis, and even though the Rams aren't winning, I don't, I, I I don't think that wins and losses are going to matter much this season. Not in the traditional sense. I, I think right. that Jeff Fisher is going to be judged far more by how this team looks when they're losing rather than, you know, if they're keeping things close and, 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 and really showing that development that you want to see, which usually is indicative of a team right about to turn the corner, then I think that that forgiveness will be there because you and I both know that, you know, people can hate uh, Fisher from now until the cows come home. Cronky loves him and Cronky. Sure. You know, he thinks that Fisher is the right man for the job. He still speaks highly of Fisher. As long as Cronky likes fish, then I don't really think Cronky gives a damn, dude. Like, I mean, Lord, you know, being an Arsenal fan, it's been a decade and Arsene Wenger's still got a job. So, I mean, well, it's it, like, but the, 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 oh, so here's the one difference I would make. Arsenal has a track record of success, right? We can, po- we can point to the idea of the bar being higher for Arsenal, the fact that they haven't won the big trophies, and I don't, I don't want to get Rams fans too off the track into the soccer world. But Arsenal is in the Champions League. Arsenal ha- has won FA Cups. The Rams haven't had a winning season. We're not talking about winning anything. Yeah, but we're at just talking about being de- We're just talking about being decent. It's like Arsenal are in the Champions League to get through the group stage and then get knocked out in the round of 16 by an inferior opponent just like they do every sure. year. Like, I mean, sure. I, I mean, if you consider that like getting, you know, if that's progress in any way, then then sure. But But I think that just seeing week-to-week genuine progression from guys like Gurley, and yep. Goff and and Michael Thomas and Pharaoh Cooper, that would be enough to satisfy Rams fans, even if the end result were a couple losses. And so here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that's the problem for two things. Number one, to use that analogy, 
the Rams, the, the bar for the Rams is even lower. I mean, we can talk about Arsenal, but the, the bar for the Rams is that they're not even making the group stage. They're not making the Champions League. They don't even have an opportunity to sail at that level. Their, their bar is not even winning. They've, they haven't had a winning season since 2003. You can't, the, the kind of things that you can say about the Rams over the last 12 years, over the last six years, and even in the last year, they approach hyperbole because you want to assume that it's going over the top, but it's not. This is a franchise that had the worst five-year run of any team from 2007 to 2011, and that set up the conditions for Jeff Fisher and Les Snead to come in and provide mediocrity as some kind of a incremental improvement. And like you're saying, is that as long as they're showing development, and this is my second point, so number one being that the bar is set so low for the Rams that they don't necessarily have to succeed to, to claim success. But number two, when they look at that incremental development as the, as the barometer of their success, the problem is they did that already. They did that when they had Sam Bradford and they said, look, you know, it's not necessarily about winning. It's about seeing Sam Bradford improve. And, you know, we got a young running back and a guy like Zach Stacy and, and Daryl Richardson that we want to continue to develop. We've got a young wide receiver, a second round pick and Brian Quick, a running back and Isaiah Pete. We want to see these guys improve week to week. And we've got this young defense with a defensive line, Michael Brockers, Chris Long, Rob Quinn. As long as these guys can continue to gel and we've got the captain of our defense middle linebacker James Laurinaitis we're going to see that secondary continue to grow with guys like Rodney McLeod and Janoris Jenkins they had these same conditions in place and they sold this same idea and it's not that the idea is wrong it's that they sold it and they failed and now they're selling the same idea with a different cast of characters as if their failure doesn't necessarily impact what got them here and where they're going. And that's what I think is most interesting is that they, they, they've sold this idea that look, things weren't good when we got here. So we're just trying to fix them. And people bought into that. Now they're selling this idea that things haven't been good the last four years. And we're just trying to fix that. The difference is they're the people that have been around the last couple of years that created the conditions for the league's worst offense in yardage. And the idea that you're bil- you're blaming the excuses before they got here. And I don't mean you personally, Josh, I'm just saying to the general, the idea that the, the excuses that existed before they got here still have any relevance in 2016 is ridiculous. There's no other franchise that's blaming things that happened in 2009 and 10 and 11 for their current condition. The Rams are the only ones doing that, and it's because they set up the same construct, man. And I just, I just find it amazing that we find ourselves here again buying into the same situation. It's just that the names on, around the table of, uh, is what's been changed. Yeah, I I mean that's sort of the 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 <laughs> it was so funny. I was uh I was listening to ESPN FC while I was taking my dog for a walk earlier today and and they were projecting, you know, the potential for for next year and Steve Nickel was just grinding on Arsenal saying you know, after the Cronky comment, he's like, "Look, man, all they have to do is do one thing." Go and win. buy a world class striker. Like buy, or just a win the damn games. You know, and 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 everybody knows that that's what they have to do, and they're not going to do it. And you know, uh, he's like, so what's going to happen is is it doesn't matter what we're going to say next year. Sure. We're going to be right back here in this same spot talking about yep. these same things over and over again because leadership does what they want when they want. And I, th- I think that's the interesting condition is how that jives with Los Angeles. So 
getting us back on track with uh, what we had intended to speak about, we did have one quick thing you mentioned going into next year. We can touch on this real quick, I think. Von Miller's new deal means for Aaron Donald down the line. Do you think Does it have any impact? I mean, the, they're different players. I think the difference is they're, they're both top-tier guys, and you pay whatever the max is, you bust the cap because these are guys that are special to your defense. What do you think, Dave? What impact does Von Miller's deal with the, you know, in terms of salary have on Aaron Donald's future deal that hopefully is going to come for the Rams? Well, I mean, Cam said this earlier on our podcast, so, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to, to, to kind of steal from him, but I, I think it's true. Um, Aaron Donald is, is on a trajectory to, to be – you know, well, JJ Watt special, like you know, yeah. undefensible, just best no, no, player no, no. in the league status. Um, I think that the dude is is out of his mind already, but he's only going to get better as time goes on. Um, so to to that end, uh, I. I I think the biggest thing for Aaron Donald is if he stays healthy, then he's probably going to end up being one of the, if not the highest paid player in the NFL. Sure. Um, I I think that that's really what this Von Miller deal means is, is I mean, $70 million is a lot of money. And when you shell out that kind of cash, you're expecting exactly what Von Miller did in the Super Bowl, which was be so disruptive that it actually cost the team a game. They can't because sure. they can't deal with it. And and everybody in in the NFL knows that that's exactly what Aaron Donald can do. And he's younger. And he might even be a, a bit physically more impressive than Von Miller. Uh, that's you make that not argument. To, I'm not. I'm not going to say he's the you know the better player right now. I'm just saying he might be physically more impressive. Uh, Von Miller to me is a little bit leaner, and and there's a certain grace about what he does as well. Um, I I think that Aaron Donald's going to get paid, but but I think he's going to bide his time and do so when. When when the getting's good, you know, <laughs> he's going to be coming off a monstrous season where, you know, he was the defensive player of the year for like a crappy Ram squad that finished, you know, three and 13 or something uh, because they let Jared Goff start. And, and he just he didn't he didn't do well, but he didn't do poorly. And and yeah, I, I mean, it just that feels like it would be a Rams thing to happen, doesn't it? Sure. I, I, well, here's what I would say. I, I mean, the impact of Von Miller's deal on Aaron Donald, I don't think matters because when, when Aaron Donald's deal expires, He's going to say, yeah, there's nothing to suggest in his trajectory on the field that he's not going to demand the biggest deal of all time for a defensive player. And there's no reason to suggest that it's not warranted. Like, uh, you know, we covered on the site, I think he was ranked, what, number 14 in the NFL top 100 by his peers, which is probably the best gauge of, you know, how quote unquote good a, a player is, is that, you know, the, the guys who know really what he does down to a T uh, say he's one of the best in the league. And, and to be as young as he is, as good as he is, uh, 
Yeah, that, that, it's hard to argue that he doesn't deserve that. What I worry about is like what you're alluding to. And you get this in other leagues a lot more perhaps in the NFL where, you know, the, the bigger issue is guaranteed money and you've got to take advantage of that and, and strike while the iron's hot regardless of the market is the idea of winning. You know, we, we've seen now the, the first era of Jeff Fisher Rams football end where it started with the RG3 trade. And he brought in guys like Janoris Jenkins, a UDFA like Rodney McLeod, and saw the peak of the careers of guys like Chris Long and James Laurinaitis all end. In this offseason, all four of those guys, along with tight end Jared Cook, a guy that they brought in through free agency, leave. So the era of him building his first iteration of the Rams, it took, you could argue it took four years, and what he built didn't work, and now he's losing talent. And what I worry about for Aaron Donald is, when he comes up on that deal, the Rams are going to offer him the money, and he's going to look at that and say, this team can give me the money, but they can't give me the opportunity. What you said about Von Miller was the truth. He had an opportunity in the Super Bowl to make that difference, and he took advantage of that just because he's a great football player and he's great at what he does. Aaron Donald's never been given that opportunity. Chris Long was never given that opportunity. James Laurinaitis was never given that opportunity. Steven Jackson was never given that opportunity. You got all these good, these good to great to whatever qualifier you want to use for Rams players in the last decade that were never given the opportunity in the playoffs to show, to show and exhibit what it is they do to the best of their ability because of the failings of forces around them, right? whatever teammates and coaching staff and whatever you want to blame that on. I think the question for Aaron Donald is, are they going to get to a point where they give him that opportunity? Because if not, I can see that being a, a reason why he might start to yearn for greener pastures. Um, that, I wanted to touch on that quickly because you had that in our uh, early preview topics for Rams news and stuff that we had touched on for the site. We've got these topics of discussion for the week. Let's go ahead and hit those. Um, I'll, I'll let you pick, man. What, what's most Im- it, interesting to you we got five topics of discussion for the week uh that i think you came up with what where do you want to start off with i think we start with the best news on there the only one with with a blue hyperlink on it and the rams offense oh no 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 No. shocking stedman 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 bailey man it's a good story look stedman you know he was he was a good kid and you know, the West Virginia loves him, and I'm glad he's getting the, the opportunity to uh, find, you know, time to spend in the football world, uh, not as a player. It, it's it's kind of heartbreaking, right, because it's not a football injury. There, there's some kind of justice, it, it, even, you know, when it's, when it's injustice in a football injury because you can accept that those kind of things happen. That That's part of the game. But when it, when it's what Stedman went through for people who don't know, he had a, he suffered a gunshot wound, um, you know, the, when he wasn't even playing and to deal with something like that and have that end your, I guess, perhaps end your career. That's one of those things where it's hard to accept, man. Yeah. And he had two gunshots uh, to the head. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, one's enough. Like one's enough to worry about, but you're you're right. Like they, you know, two two gunshots certainly compounds it. But it's one of the I, I don't know. It's it's hard to accept the idea that somebody can move on from that on a personal level, let alone a professional level when it comes to football. Oh, I don't think I could do it, man. I would have. <laughs> uh, you know, I was. Uh, I'll I'll say this story. I was I. I I told it a little bit earlier. I was watching a movie on Netflix called Fastball, 
and uh, they interview all sorts of different pitchers, guys like Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, so on and so forth. And just the, the, the whole documentary is really about a fastball and they show uh, this this call this uh, baseball card around uh, to some of the newer generations uh, of of pitchers, and they're like, "We'll pick somebody on there that you you know have heard of," and all these newer pitchers, guys like Verlander and such, are looking at the card and they have no damn idea. They have no idea, like not one person on this. And then they hand it to like the older uh, players and they just start laughing and they're like Steve Dolkowski. And this dude, man, like Steve Dolkowski is sort of the inspiration for Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn in uh, in Major League. Like, you know, that scene where they've got the the wooden cut out and, and and Ricky's just trying to avoid it. But they've got like the markings with paint every time he beans it. And you just sort of see like the paint all over it as as the throwing session continues. And then he eventually decapitates it with a fastball. Um, that's more or less how bad Steve Dalkowski's control is. And I promise this story has a point. <clears throat> but w- after about 13 years of toiling around in the minors, Dalkowski finally has like this brilliant season where he locates his fastball. I mean, he's just unstoppable. Everything's working for him. He's had a brilliant spring. He got the call up. He's finally going to the pros. And while he's out there warming up, he takes a throw, throws it down to first base, and wouldn't you know it, he hears a pop in his elbow. Steve Dalkowski never made it to the majors again. On and and you look at just like incidents like that, and it just reminds me of like like at any point in time, this game can be that cruel to you. And and Stedman Bailey is you know through no fault of his own is 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 may very well be deprived of a perfectly good NFL career. So hopefully, this you know, next step for him at West Virginia. Hopefully this is the start of something awesome and a second career for him because he's worked his ass off and he deserves every good thing that happens to him and every opportunity he gets. Well said, man. You know what? Congrats to you, Josh, for, for bringing, for bringing some professionalism, some, some damn maturity to this. Um, speaking of, let, let's transition to why is everyone so down on the Rams offense? Why, why do they suck so much, Josh? I think that people are less down on the Rams offense and they're more up on statistics. And <laughs> statistics just don't bear out that the Rams are going to be good. And what well put. Again, what, again, well put. <laughs> what you see from the statistics doesn't, 
it doesn't inspire optimism. Now, you can you can put lipstick on a pig if you want, but it's still a pig. And it doesn't matter how you dress it up. The Rams are going to have to do certain things if they want to take that next step and become a contender in the NFL. Like, they could probably be just a little bit better than they are and float around as, as a dang good wild card team for a couple of years if they want or they can buckle down saddle in and do what is necessary and become a great team they certainly uh they have some key personnel and if if they can somehow or another manage to swing themselves back into the first round um for next year's draft or at least close enough that uh, uh a a quality quality wide receiver falls to them in the second round um then i think that they'll by and large be okay with that um but uh yeah i i just think that that people expect other people to be optimistic in fans and no i doubt. guess that they don't understand that that's not really the job requirement and sure. some people well, well, sb nation does have people who do embrace that mentality and by all sure. means it, it works but it they also are home to people who embrace the mentality of my job is to tell you what i see on the field and if it sucks then my job's to tell you it sucks yeah, I mean, it, look, it's a big tent. Uh, we got a big tent at Churchill Times. I, you know, would suggest that, that I don't – I get some flack for the, that idea of negativity, but, I, you know, it's one of those things where the Rams haven't won some, from, since 2003. I, I don't understand why everybody isn't negative. I don't understand why people aren't more negative than me, right? I, I, I tend to think – and this was certainly the case when Ryan Van Bibber, the previous managing editor, was around – he was almost almost universally more negative than me, uh, but I think the difference was he was negative based on uh, the results. I'm negative based on, if you want to call it that, based on the projection. And I think the problem is when it, the framing of this idea, why is everybody down on the Rams offense? And I'm using that as a jumping off point because we get this, you know, in comments and social media, whatever, is why aren't people doing this? Why are the Rams always looked at as this? The, the the reason why everybody's so down on the Rams offense is that they were dead last last year in yards. We're not talking we're talking about one of the worst. We're talking about the worst. They they gained the least yards of any team in the NFL. So if you break it down by tiers and you top take the top quartile, the top eight teams in the league, if if those should be the teams where the fans are positive about their teams, and then you've got the middle sixteen where teams are ambivalent and they're not sure how to make the most of it, and then you got the bottom eight where they should be negative. We're at the bottom of that. This idea that that we shouldn't be critical or should support anything that the team puts out. I don't know how to do that when the offense sucks. I don't, I, I, I don't know how to get excited. And you know, like you said, they got young talent all over the place. I just I just don't understand this idea of being this overwhelming font of positivity, especially for something like the offense, which is what we're bringing up here. When the the most recent result we got was so overwhelmingly 
non-sat unsatisfactory, and I just don't know how to do that. So when when you with a question like why is everybody so down on the Rams offense? Because the Rams offense was down on football. That's why. Yeah, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. Until the Rams prove capable of of doing something more than what they have shown. It, it just doesn't seem likely that people are going to latch on and and uh, continue to support year after year after year after no year if if they're not making strides in the right direction. And that would include development, win totals. And frankly, you want to see some development in your manager as well, you know, uh, sure. Fish has been a guy that's been around the league, but you know, even he doesn't know everything. And it would be nice if 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 even he started to incorporate some of these more modern ideas and 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 bring them in. But we we will see what happens. Uh, I I tend to think that things will play out as they should. I think Goff was a very worthy pick. And certainly, if you're a Los Angeles Rams fan at this point, you're enjoying where he's at a hell of a lot more than Eagles fans are enjoying where Carson Wentz is at. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting setup. I, I mean, you, you mentioned the idea of win-loss record development, you know, Golf being the the centerpiece of this moving forward, I, I just wonder. In a you know, we can cross off all the topics of discussion for the week. That the idea that the Rams have sold out, you know, the season ticket uh, capability that they have. They've got 16 open practices for training camp coming up uh, a week from what Saturday, I think, is when they open. The the, the excitement's there, right? And, and more so than anything they've had for. Uh, you could probably say 15 years, you know, going back to the end of the greatest show on turf. They, they've got a, they've got a fan base that is eager to see the product that they're putting out. And the, the problem is they just don't have a, pro- a product that's ready for that level of excitement. Yep. That, uh, that I don't really know what to add to that, that I, I mean, I feel like at a certain point where we're beating a dead horse, you know, that sure. th- this team just have to take a corner. They, they have to take a corner and they have to take it with vigor and, and with energy that inspires. But the thing is, is that we, the, the, the people who a lot of people think are negative, we truly believe that they have some of the pieces in place, uh, no just doubt. for whatever reason, it's not there yet. But uh, yeah. this team is not devoid of the components to do what it is that we expect of them. Sure. Yeah, you, you don't get guys like Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, back-to-back rookies of the year, uh, Robert Quinn, a phenomenal player, Rob Havenstein, who I loved in college and came in. And uh, what did I put in that piece? I think he was the only right tackle not to give up a sack uh, last season. Uh, and that, that's not about the top tier talents. You know, not, you look at the Broncos who won the Super Bowl. Not every player on that roster is Pro Bowl caliber. You just need to have enough and enough role players and to have everybody gelling at the performances. That's the problem for the Rams. Is that it's not necessarily the roster and the personnel. What we alluded to earlier, or what I alluded to earlier, is that schism between building the roster to what it needs to be and then getting the performances out of them. I don't think the roster is the problem. 
I think the problem is that we haven't gotten those performances. And I think that's a good segue into these listener questions. I'm going to skip B. I'm going to skip Brian's because yeah, Brian Muling, uh, who I love, everybody should know him. He's on the site. B Mule, uh, frequent contributor to the site. He is, uh, what's the, what's the right word? He's mastered sarcasm to in a good way. Uh, but he's a, a service member abroad over in, uh, Korea right now, so I'm glad to see that B. Mule hasn't lost uh, his sense of humor while he's serving our nation, but contributing to Tertial Times. Josh, we've got these other questions for listener questions. I'll let you direct uh, where you think we need to go because I want to make sure we address all these while we got time. Oh, I'll let you. I'll let you reach into the hat and just pull out a question for this one. Sure. So, well, let's talk about Trey Mason. We got this one from Miles Xander, sixty-two. What will the Rams do with Trey Mason? I think the problem is it's not up to the Rams, and it's a similar situation with Nick Foles, right? That no, no NFL team is going to come in and give you NFL draft compensation for guys that you want to get rid of. The the fact that you don't want them is indicative of how valuable they are to you, and why would they be any more valuable to anybody else? So the question with what are the Rams going to do with Trey Mason and Nick Foles, I think they're going to wait, get into camp, assess the situation. Now, the, we, we talked about Trey Mason T.J. McDonald. They've got some off-field issues going on, and you know those may create extenuating circumstances. But in terms of the value that they have to the, the other 31 teams in the NFL, you got to assume it's pretty low. The fact that Trey Mason got overdrafted by Todd Gurley and barely uh, – registered in terms of how the, the Rams' offensive plans in 2015 suggest what, what kind of a component he's going to be moving forward. The real issue is what the Rams want to do uh, for their offense going into 2016. We haven't seen that in camp, but there's no reason to think that Trey Mason or Nick Foles is going to be a meaningful part of that. I mean, unless you think otherwise, because I'm open to the argument. I just don't see how that's going to take place. No, I, I I would actually even go as so far to say that I really don't even have much to add on to that. I think that that's pretty I, – I mean, the situation seems as cut and dry as it could get, right? I mean, a lot of people didn't even expect uh, Nick Foles to be on the roster at this point. So, right. you know, it's – I think the only other possibility that I could see is, is the Rams hanging on to him. Uh, possibly until the you know the trade deadline during the the middle of the season, seeing what catastrophic injuries happen to which teams and how hard up they're going to be for a quarterback yep. who you know can actually play in the NFL. Um, I I think that that's what the Rams are waiting on, but I've I've heard people say that they think that that he'll get moved. Uh, you know, just before uh, uh, the regular season starts, I tend to, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm just not so sure about that. Yep. I would uh, point people. If you're looking for a good read on that, uh, Sean Wilkinson dropped something, I think last Friday about uh, Les needs development with contracts and uh, Kevin Demos involvement with that and how it affects moving forward with Tremaine Johnson, one of the key cornerbacks, uh, obviously taking over the, the CB one spot. We've got two good defensive secondary issues uh, going on that we got questions about. Let's take the first one from Frank Picone. Uh, could there be battles at both safety spots with TJ McDonald's status uncertain? I, I think that's going to be interesting. We don't know what's going on with TJ McDonald, Trey Mason, like we alluded to. I think part of the problem with the safety spots is the Rams use them very similarly. You've got a lot of teams that run a traditional strong safety, free safety alignment. The Rams don't do that. They, they run the similar shells and then kind of switch their safety assignments based on how the offense uh, shells up. 
And that gave you the opportunity for guys like Rodney McLeod and TJ McDonald, both who have past defensive skills, uh, but can come uh, up to the line with some physicality, supporting the run game and other, you know, blitz functions and, and you know, scrape functions. Um, I, I think the question is, the Rams haven't spent a lot of capital on the safety spot uh, outside of TJ McDonald. Rodney McLeod was an undrafted free agent. Maurice Alexander was a day three guy. Uh, Mark Barron is more or less a linebacker at this point. Um, you know, they haven't, they haven't really invested heavily in safety. I think it's going to be one of the great battles to watch during training camp, but I, I don't know that TJ McDonald necessarily provides any certainty. I mean, he's got one spot locked down, but the Rams don't have a lot of answers at the safety position going into training camp. No, they sure as hell don't. And, you know, you you thought that that's what the whole purpose of, of getting a guy like Dante Whitner was for. And yeah. uh, and and that's why when when those negotiations were being bandied about on social media, it seemed like a win win for both teams. And uh, I don't I don't think he's signed yet. So if he hasn't, maybe this is something the Rams revisit and eventually cave and give him what he wants. But I'm with you on this, man. There, there, there really isn't even a second string free safety. So, I mean, uh, th- th- this is a team that that does not have a lot of options there. Um, which you know, to for being frank, is quite scary considering the fact that they lost so much in that defensive secondary. Um. Yeah. You know, if 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 you're a Rams fan, looking at the fact that you know now uh, JJ and and Rodney McLeod are gone, I mean that was some production, man. That, feel however you want personally about them, but that was some serious production, and it's gone. So uh, I I've I've been curious along with yourself as to how Mark Barron is going to react to this, whether or not he's going to actually fill out a safety role or if uh, he's just going to stay on as a linebacker. I have no idea. Um, But I think we know one thing that this is a a position that we've probably not heard the last of in, in, in fall camp. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, this leads us into the next question from Dave Burton. Were Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod a little overrated because a strong D-line made their jobs easier? I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. you got to remember, Janoris Jenkins was the CB1. So if if they were overrated because a strong D-line made their jobs easier, then that was the case for everybody back there. Trumaine Johnson, EJ Gaines two seasons ago, uh, TJ McDonald since he's been drafted. I, I think the difference is they were able to take the spotlight uh, of certainly for Janoris's case, because as the CB one, he was guarding your top wide receivers uh, for the most part throughout the last four seasons. Um, I I think, I think what's going to be interesting is you're bumping up Trumaine Johnson into that CB one spot. Assumedly that, I mean, that's not necessarily the case. We've got some time to figure that out, but if the Rams are promoting Trumaine Johnson into the first cornerback slot and you got EJ Gaines stepping up into the second position, uh, which he had two years ago when Truman Johnson was hurt, but missed all of last season with that list rank injury. You've got a lot of uncertainty at the cornerback spot without Chris Long and, and, and with a lot of turnover on that defensive line with guys like Cam Thomas, Clinton Copels, Dominique Easley coming in to fill in around William Hayes, Robert Quinn, Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers as your front four. 
that it, there's no reason to think that that overratedness is going to change, right? So if they were overrated, I don't know that that changes. I think the difference is, do you still have the same quality of play at the back? And is that sufficient to give your overall defense the capability needs to stop the pass? Yeah, I don't think that they were overrated. Um, I I generally dislike that term when a player leaves. I I think that those guys got the money they got for a very good reason. A reason, yeah. Um, and and you're worth whatever the market says you're worth. Uh, I I think the Rams are are definitely going to be hurt by their departure. Um, though I am not sure to what extent, um, you know, EJ Gaines is a guy that there's, uh, a lot of mystery over. We don't, we don't really know how he's going to slot in there. Um, but assuming he comes in and does a a semi-competent job, then you would expect this goes back to, to, uh, business as usual. And people seem to, to forget that, that Robert Quinn has, you know, sort of been injured. It's not like the Rams defensive front has, has been a world beater. Um, they've had their own issues. So, um, I, I, I think that those guys got paid because they were actually able to, to, defend for longer than was required uh (laughs) um but no man i i I hate that phrase overrated it uh i I think it's it's obviously meant to just get down on a player and i don't really see any point in it And, and obviously this question you know leans on the the two at the back of the defense that the rams lost but it applies to chris long and james laurenitis equally those guys were starters for a reason, right? Whatever those reasons were. Janoris Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod were your starters for a reason. It doesn't mean that EJ Gaines and, let's say, Maurice Alexander can't step, and step up and fill those roles adequately, but those guys were starters for a reason. And the fact that they're gone is, is a big question that the Rams have to answer going into 2016 and one that they avoided answering in years past for a reason. That's... Uh, I don't know. It's something that I worry more than I think is being written about. But boy, we've got plenty of time to deal with that and plenty of weeks ahead for Tertia Radio and uh, obviously on the site. We've got these other stories we want to get to. Uh, what the hell happened to Greg Robinson? That's a question from Irv H. Um, I, 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 don't know how to hand, I don't know how to answer that because I think to me the answer is nothing's happened yet. That, yeah, you know, I think people are hoping something happened when you're yeah. working with LaCharles Bentley this offseason. Sure. You know, like that's that's about like as far as you can really push that. Yeah, I mean, what, what the, the answer to what the hell has happened to Greg Robinson is nothing. He, you know, developed his career at Auburn. He got drafted by the Rams and he hasn't really made any progress on the field in terms of his consistency as a left tackle. I, I think the question is, if, if nothing the hell happens to him this season, wh- how much longer is he the lock at left tackle that we assume him to be and we have for the last couple of years? Because you can't, you can't rely on that kind of inconsistency moving forward, right? I mean, the, the, the Rams went all in on offensive line last year, and they got all these new picks. They drafted a Isaiah Battle in the supplemental draft and sacrificed their fifth-round pick from this year's 2016 NFL draft in order to do so. But, you know, they haven't really gotten the results that they wanted. Like we talked about earlier, the PFF ranking had them 31st in the league, second to last. 
and, and if you go back and look at, I, I posted that 53-man projection today. They've got all 10 guys coming back, so it's the same line. I don't know. I don't know that necessarily you want to bring back the the, the same 10 guys from the 31st ranked offensive line. But I can understand the the idea of leaning on consistency while you fix some other areas around it. I think the question is how much of how much of the impact does the left tackle position have on that line? And you know we understand that it's probably the premier position, but if it's overwhelmingly affecting the performance of everybody else and certainly the quarterback, now that you got a rookie franchise QB and Jared Goff, how much of a leash does Greg Robinson have going into 2016? I don't think it's a very long one, especially if he yeah. starts missing key blocks and Goff winds up on his ass. I think that they'll pull the trigger on him really quickly. They're going to protect Goff uh, far, far quicker than they're going to protect Greg Robinson. A washed-out left tackle is a dime a dozen, but you know, uh, an elite star QB... You, you know, those don't grow on trees. Now, I'm not saying... So, you, you, yeah. uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the, the, so I, I totally agree with you. The, the problem I have is twofold. Number one, we saw that last year with Nick Foles, and they, they had no problem with Nick Foles, let's, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and whatever, overgeneralizing. They had no problem with him getting ruined, right? Uh, a lot of people point to the hit he took in the Green Bay game, uh, early on in the season, what, whatever it is, obviously that wasn't an issue as it, as it uh, relates to Greg Robinson's performance or anybody else's where they didn't make you know those personnel switches uh, as Nick Foles' play continued to deteriorate to whatever degree the offensive line contributed. And, and secondly, if it, and I don't disagree with you that the leash on Greg Robinson might be short, they don't really have an answer outside of I, maybe Isaiah Battle somebody that they sat all of last season and didn't even dress for a game. So, you know, I think the question becomes if that's a reality that they need to be prepared for, they haven't done anything to prepare for that to this point. And I think that more than anything, I I don't disagree with your assessment of Greg Robinson. I think the problem is they haven't done anything to prepare for a, a Rams offensive line in 2016 that doesn't include him. Yeah, I, I, it sort of just boils down to the fact that he has to step up and deliver. He he has to tap into whatever it is he needs to tap into. And and yeah. if Le, if LeCharles Bentley can't get it out from him, then maybe you look at trading him, offloading him to a team with an offensive line guru because you can get some trade value there that you can maybe, uh, you know, perhaps a second round pick of some kind. And then you use that uh, to, to, to possibly draft another tackle down the line. Um, but I don't, I don't know beyond that. I'm sort of with you. I don't know what the answer is with Greg Robinson. I I don't think he's left the Rams with a lot of answers. And I think what's strange is that he came in the same draft as Aaron Donald. So you've got Aaron Donald, you know, uh, a guy who's on a trajectory and I don't want to overstate this and overhype him. So I won't use I'll do the Donald Trump thing. I'll mention it by saying I'm not mentioning it. I'm not mentioning the Hall of Fame when I talk about uh, Aaron Donald's trajectory, but certainly he's a phenomenal player. 
now you've got Greg Robinson as the number two overall pick in that same draft who we aren't even sure is a capable starter. And I, I think it's just one of those things where you look at and say, you know, the discrepancy between how they're building this defense and how they're building the offense isn't just obvious in what they're getting out of people. It's obvious, you know, how they're approaching the build of that as well. And, you know, it's one of those things that I just, we have to mention now in the build up to the season only because the, the more we mention it, the more we have to pull back to, but, uh, the the last thing that we had was the, the question from Seattle Rams fan, a close fan of TST, asking more so than QB where Goff will take over sooner or later. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't have a good sense of this because the the Rams dealing with quarterbacks has been so strange. Uh, you know, since they had to deal with Sam Bradford and the injuries and, you know, that obviously put them in a situation that they weren't necessarily prepared for. But the fact that you go back until that last year where he got injured in the preseason, they hadn't drafted somebody as uh, plan B. Then the next year they go out and get Sean Mannion, uh, the same year they signed Nick Foles and, and sent him the whole year. I, I don't, I don't know that they have a clear plan uh, for the quarterback position outside of the idea that Jared Goff is going to be this savior uh, but I don't necessarily think that there's a clear outline for how he gets there. Yeah, I don't know what that outline would be either. Um, I do actually think it'll end up being sooner, though I I think that it'll be somewhat uh, similar to, to how – uh, a lot of coaches like to do this, and, and that's uh, letting Keenum hang himself with his own rope. Um, and, no and eventually, you know, through those first four games of the season, one can probably figure that Keenum will, will botch it enough times that Fisher can go and then... Oh, excuse me, I've got the hiccups tonight. Um, Fisher can then go and replace him uh down the line um so i i i don't know if the ram like i don't think that the rams plan should be to start jared goff at week one but at the same time i think whatever decision the rams make they need to it can't be do one thing one week because it makes sense this week and then do another thing another week because it makes sense that week. Whatever plan they come up for with Goff, they need to remain steadfast in that plan. And but Josh, that's what the, that's what the Rams do. We come up with plans based on what looks good on Monday and on Tuesday. If we want to change it, damn it, we'll change it. That's how we do things. But but they can't do it with Jared Goff. Um, I just I I I fear that that could be the one thing that could ruin him. Um, but at the same time, I do think that. The, the way that he and Case Keenum have approached this situation between the two of them, I think it is very healthy. I think it, it's competitive for sure, but it's a healthy competitive, and it looks like these two appreciate each other on and off uh, the field. So we'll see how that sort of relationship matures itself into something more as time progresses on. But yeah, I think ultimately, you know, Case Keenum pretty much probably expects that Jared Goff will be his direct replacement. 
I do think it's adorable that you, that you think the Rams can't do that, that they can't trade uh, Jared Goff that way. It, it, it's great that we're bringing you into the fold with this idea of, oh, well, the Rams can't do this. Oh, you can't do that with Jared Goff. The hell that Jeff Fisher can't, man. Um, a, mo- a monsoon is currently moving in on me. I'm, I'm hearing sounds on the walls and ceilings of my humble abode that I haven't heard since I moved here. I think it's time to move away from the final questions that we had, the, the listener questions, the topics. We, we've got a bunch of empty things to run through, and, and we, I think this has been a, a long enough podcast. Maybe we need to tighten this up moving yeah. forward. And I, know, I, I love having people's attention for as long as we do, uh, but I think uh, uh, we can respect that. With, with a little bit more uh, acceleration as we get through this stuff, that being said, upcoming events or articles on TST, we're heading towards training camp, man. But, the, the, you know, the, the time for speculating as to how things are going to work out is going to end quickly because we're, we're approaching the point where we're going to get some of the answers on a lot of this stuff, especially when you talk about the end of the roster battles, the, the, the quest towards the 53. I mentioned that I had that projection on the site today. We're going to get some answers on that stuff, and we're going to start to see this uh, team start to take shape. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, you know, there's 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 positives and negatives to it. We'll obviously got the uh, launch of uh, uh, Hard Knocks, which will take us deep inside the the depressing act of being cut, uh, so we can live that experience with some poor fan or some poor uh, fan of the, of the game who was hoping to be a player. Um, but, uh, you know, like you said, man, there's so much going on with the Rams right now that I'm pretty much ready to throw myself into all of it and, and just sort of see what comes out, you know, whether it's a show on E, whether it's uh, a hard knocks, whether it's preseason games, um, it's obvious that this team is going to be changed for the future in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not uh, Fisher is around to see it is neither here nor there. It's just, it, it seems like it's an exciting time to be a Rams fan. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, especially I talk about the idea of negativity a lot. The, the fact is the Rams went all, all in on this. They, they went all in on Goff, and they went all in on uh, repudiating their, their former approach to building through the draft and stacking up draft picks. You know, they've done that. They've done that enough. They've had enough draft picks. They've had four years of free agency, and, you know, they, they, they went into 2016 and said, let's go grab a guy and go all in on this guy and see what we can come out with. And it's, it's time for Rams fans to hold – this franchise accountable for results, right? There's no reason to do that. And I think more than anything, I think if there's something I appreciate, it's this sentiment that you and many others have expressed is that Los Angeles is going to do just that, is that moving forward. If the Rams aren't providing them with what they want to see, despite the fact that the people are excited to have the Rams back in Los Angeles, there's going to be some kind of accountability because damn it, if it it doesn't need to be held to them uh, at this point. Yeah, uh, there, there's going to have to be an improvement. Um, I don't think, you know, four or five, seven and win nine seasons in, in a row is is going to satisfy the L.A. fan base. And and frankly, people will just go and spend their money on something that's pr- going to provide them with more excitement. 
and uh and I they should and i wouldn't blame them uh, you know la is a uh it's an interesting town and there's only so much stuff to do with with only so much money so if if somebody's LA, not come on it, come on man hey cleveland cleveland's an interesting town when you got a when you got a team that isn't winning yeah look hey la's a, la's an interesting town when you can win if you can't win over 12 years i don't give a i don't give a damn how interesting your town is let alone los angeles Toledo, Ohio, stand up. You guys deserve an NFL team if what they're going to give you is 12 consecutive years of losing. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I just think that when it comes to the expectations that the fans in the immediate era, uh, area will have, that there is going to be a bit more pressure on Sneed and on Fisher to produce to win one of the one or two of these close games. And ultimately, people are going to start asking questions like, you know, you've been trying to put together these physical defenses for years. How come you guys keep getting out physical? You know, um, these qu- there, the questions are going to be asked. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how teams ask those questions this year. The Rams have a hell of a schedule. Um, and, and certainly we are going to see a diversity of uh, different ways in which clubs will ask uh, questions of the Rams. Some are going to come at them and run the st- ball straight at them. Some are going to pass the ball right over their heads. Uh, but this this team has about as daunting of a schedule as I've seen, and uh, it'll be curious to see how it all plays out. No doubt, and I, I love how much you're chomping at the bit to get into the schedule. Um, Tisha Radio's back. Uh, we're going to get into the schedule. We've got uh, the rest of SB Nation, uh, who, if you haven't seen, we just leveraged a radio deal with the former carriers of Yahoo Sports Radio. Um, so we're coming to your radio dial. You're going to get more than just podcasts from us. Um, and, and, and that's a good thing. You know, you, the, the fans perspective, like, uh, we're talking about today is a, is a valuable component to the conversation as much as the media is. And like Josh is saying, man, you, you know, the, the media has a role to play in terms of how they question and how they push back against the product that we receive, but the ultimate arbiters the fans because we're the ones who stick with the team more than the employees you know in the front office or, or the team do ultimately uh, and i think it's just a great time to be able to set this uh the, the benchmark starting out for los angeles rams football 2.0 I, I i just think it's amazing that while they're doing that the product that they have is one that has as many questions as it does and, and yet as many unanswered questions when you got guys like Jared Goff coming in to lead the offense. Josh, I want to thank you, man. I know, I know we got a lot of stuff moving forward that we're going to try to accomplish with Terso radio. Uh, definitely want to thank everybody for listening. We got some fun stuff coming up in terms of guests, guys across SB nation that we're going to get for the NFL college football. Uh, and obviously Josh's obsession with the EPL Stan Kroenke arsenal relationship will be something we touch on frequently. And and you had best be prepared to talk about that because I'll probably <laughs> abuse the hell out of it as a topic of conversation. 
hey, if there if there's one thing I can defend, it's Arsenal's record. If there's one thing I can't defend, it's the Rams' record over the last twelve years. I think I think the key is that that most of us agree that the Rams' performance over these last eleven years has been indefensible. They haven't made the playoffs. That's got to change. The good thing is they've got enough guys in the building that can make that happen. Uh, Josh, anything else you need to put down before we wrap this up, man? Uh, no, man. Just uh, looking forward to being a part of this team. Excited to be part of Turf Show Radio. And uh, we can promise you guys more cool stuff as the season approaches. And just keep it locked right here on SB Nation and Turf Show Times. How it goes, man. That's uh, Josh Webb, everybody. Uh, at fight on twist on Twitter. It's your boy 3K at 3K underscore. Obviously, both at Tertial Times, at Tertial Times, TertialTimes.com, Tertial Times on Instagram, Tertial Times on Pinterest, Tertial Times on MySpace, Tertial Times on Prodigy Online Access. Uh, hollering at you from Tertial Radio. Josh, thanks for hollering at me. Thank you, man. And I'm looking forward to coming back next week and doing this all again. Let's do it, man. Go, Rams. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.